Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, uh, Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, and Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent. Down the line from Citigroup, we have Ronit Ghost, who's a banking analyst there. Today, we'll be talking about Barclays as it finds a new chief executive in the form of a US investment banker. Also, a look at ring fencing in the UK as signs emerge that the UK regulator is potentially watering down the idea. And finally, uh, a look at Credit Suisse as it prepares to raise fresh capital from investors. Firstly, though, Martin, to that top story uh, on Barclays. We broke the story late last night around Barclays hiring Jess Staley as the new chief executive, yet to be signed off by regulators. But it looks like they've made their decision, assuming he can jump through the hoops, then he will be the new CEO, I guess, by the end of the year. Yeah, he works currently for a New York-based hedge fund called Blue Mountain Capital. Uh, He's a managing partner there, but I think all things being equal, he could move pretty quickly. And I think the regulators in the UK would like to see a full-time chief executive in place as soon as possible, given that there is some discomfort at the regulator at the Bank of England about John McFarlane, the chairman, having ousted the previous chief executive, Anthony Jenkins, and now having full executive control as a full executive chairman. They don't want that period to last very long. So Jez Staley is an American, born in Boston, 58 years old. He worked for 34 years at JP Morgan, most latterly running its investment banking business, um, one of the biggest in the world, and its asset management business, also one of the biggest in the world. We haven't heard from him. We haven't heard from Barclays because they can't say anything until it's approved by regulators, which we presume it will. But we can discuss about the signals it sends. And I think that the fact that Barclays did have a US investment banker in the form of Bob Diamond as its chief executive until it was undone by the LIBOR scandal and Bob Diamond was forced out by the regulator at the time. They then approached Jez Staley back in 2012 when he was still working at JP Morgan as a potential replacement for Bob Diamond. But that was scuppered by the political climate at the time, which was very anti-investment banking. And And it would have been very expensive to hire him and politically unpalatable to buy out his options at JP, £30 million or something like that? Something like that. I think he might have been prepared to leave some or all of that on the table in order to get the job. But I think ultimately it was quashed by regulators. And I think inside Barclays, the advice was, don't do this. It's a red rag to a bull for all the media, the politicians and the regulators. This will just be incendiary after everything that happened with Bob Diamond and the LIBOR scandal. But three years later, they obviously judged the interesting thing 
they obviously judge there's been a shift in the political climate, in the mood of the regulator. Uh, you've got Mark Carney, a former investment banker at Goldman Sachs himself, as the governor of the Bank of England. You've got George Osborne, the chancellor of the Tory party, fresh from winning the general election and a majority, even albeit a small one. And there does feel like there's a new mood, or as the chancellor put it himself in the Mansion House speech earlier this year, a new settlement between the politicians and the city. And Barclays is now feeling like this time is right to go back to a US investment banker and all the signals that sends. But it does seem to have worried some investors and Barclays shares were down a bit today. So there's some confusion as to the signals being sent. Well, let me bring in Ronit Ghost from Citigroup to give us his view. Ronit, quick question. Is Mr. Staley a good choice? I believe he is a good choice, yes. He may not, for many investors, be the perfect choice, but he's a credible choice. He's obviously had a lot of experience in banking. Uh, He's got a lot of experience in the U.S., and that was one of the criteria McFarlane, the chairman, had was U.S. experience. He's also got hands-on experience of both investment banking and asset management. And particularly on the investment banking side, I think having an experienced banker, someone who's run an investment banking business at the top level helps. Barclays obviously saw an exodus of senior investment banking management talent after Bob Diamond and Jerry Delmissier left Barcap. And subsequently, I think they've seen further attrition in senior levels. Having credible investment banking talent helps, even though Barclays is obviously not just an investment bank. And one of the questions we're getting a lot today from investors is, you know, does this mean a change of strategy? Does this mean that Barclays is not going to be a universal bank? We believe this uh, appointment of Jess Staley does not indicate a change of strategy. Um, if you look at Bill Winter's appointment at Stanchard, that indicated a change of direction, a change in approach, almost a change in business model. In the case of Jess Staley, also a J.P. Morgan alumni like Bill Winters, this will be continuation of the existing strategy of Barclays as a universal bank. And there are some questions for investors today as to whether or not appointing an American investment banker is going to somehow lead to Barclays being more focused on investment banking again, whether this means uh, there's going to be more capital put into the investment bank, more balance sheet. If this appointment is confirmed, that's definitely an area where Barclays will need to reassure the market that there is no change in strategy. So why do you think if the strategy is likely to continue, if he's a respected banker, why have the shares fallen on this news? Well, first of all, it's a red day or a down day in the stock market in general. Many bank stocks are down this morning. Barclays is down broadly in line with the market. It's down a little bit more than the market. But the reason the shares have fallen is this element of uncertainty. As I said, we believe that Just Daily is a credible CEO for Barclays. But there are questions because he doesn't cover all the bases that Barclays covers right now in terms of his background is primarily the U.S.-centric background, and it's uh, investment banking, asset management background. And so there is a very large retail bank inside Barclays. There is an African business in Barclays. And I think there will be some investors hoping that this does not signal a change in strategy back towards a greater focus on investment banking. European and U.K. investors and the regulators and politicians, they do not back a large American-style investment banking business model anymore. Maybe 10 years ago, that was different, but today there isn't really a broad-based constituency of support for that kind of business. And there will be some questions, if you're appointing an American investment banker, does that mean we're sort of reorientating strategy? Well, I guess we'll have to wait a few months before we find out for definite. But uh, in the meantime, thanks very much, Ronit, for those views.
Let's move on to our second topic, which has a related theme. Caroline, you were writing this week about ring fencing in the UK potentially being watered down, certainly from what had been expected. This perhaps is another example of the more emollient mood among policymakers that Martin was talking about relating to the appointment of Jess Daly. What's your insight on this? I think if the Prudential Regulation Authority does indeed go ahead on Thursday and say that ring-fenced banks will be allowed to pass up to their parents capital in the form of dividends, then that will be a big boost for the banks who've long railed against the cost and the potential fallout of ring-fencing. And there was a big push over the summer since the majority win by the Tories at the general election over ring-fencing. And that also coincided with the PRA going through individual banks' plans as to how they might comply with the ring-fencing proposals. Well, let me bring Emma in here because, as Caroline said, that was a big point of conflict, really, between the banks and the policymakers over what ring fencing would mean. The primary legislation, when it was passed, was very skeletal, and it has allowed the regulator a lot of leeway in terms of defining the small print. Capital fungibility, as they call it, is one of those crucial points, and it makes it far more livable with, I suppose, for some of the big banks. What have you been picking up? Well, I think some of the credit ratings agencies have suggested that there could be quite big implications for some of the banks in terms of if there are limitations around the capital fungibility and other resources between the ring-fenced entity and the non-ring-fenced entity. So Standard Poor's, for example, have suggested that one banking group could have a retail banking unit that's ring-fenced that could be A-rated, while at the same time having a non-ring-fenced entity that is some six notches lower at BB grade. This is largely due to the sort of lack of fungibility, as it were. So I think, you know, a lot of eyes are focused on the announcement on Thursday from Bank of England and as to whether there's any clarification really on, on capital fungibility here. So that makes a huge, I mean, assuming the it is confirmed what we think in terms of that ability to pay dividends within the group, obviously that goes against the kind of worst case scenarios painted by the, the credit rating agencies. And um, as you say, S&P, I think, probably taking the most dramatic stance on that issue but it makes a huge difference to how much it costs for a bank to fund itself, obviously. It does indeed. S&P have definitely taken the more aggressive line there. But banks have also aired other concerns, not just around capital fungibility. And these other concerns might not be addressed in Thursday's meeting. So, for example, one of the issues is what's happening with technology platforms. Lloyd's arguably one of the lesser hit banks by ring fencing, given that 97% of their group will be within the ring fence, as, as most of it is retail UK focused. However, this leaves this 3% that's outside and focused on debt capital markets. And it's whether this is viable to keep. If it turns out that the Bank of England requires them to have a separate technology board, then could they end up selling this? So there's a lot of details still to thrash out on this front. Well, we watch uh, the details of that announcement on Thursday, obviously, closely and monitor it going forward. Just as an aside, before we move on to our final topic on Credit Suisse, Caroline, fill us in on the latest development on yet another potential issue around the mood in in the city and among policymakers, because contrary to what you might think, it seems that the FCA, the Conduct Authority, is seriously considering a fairly hardline replacement for Martin Wheatley. This would seemingly go against the kind of softer mood of George Osborne et al. Tell us about Greg Medcraft. 
So Mr Medcraft is currently the chairman of the Australian Financial Watchdog and he also is chairing IOSCO, which is the global group of securities regulators. And that's really put him on a global platform. Uh, He's worked quite closely in that role with Mark Carney in the uh, Governor of the Bank of England's parallel role as head of the Financial Stability Board. Mr. Medcraft has been approached by headhunters that have been instructed by the Treasury. This is very much the Treasury's appointment. It's not the FCA's to make. And you'll remember that Mr. Wheatley was effectively ousted in the summer by George Osborne by not renewing his board membership of the FCA. So while Mr. Wheatley, as you say, is widely regarded as having been a bit of a scourge on bankers, The big question, I think, would be if Mr. Medcraft is any different to that, because in a Financial Times interview he did with me back in June, he said that banks deserve all they get. He was very pro heavy fining and tough accountability rules. I think the question is that Osborne still has to walk a very high political tightrope. It's still beyond the City of London, very toxic for him to appear that he's suddenly becoming soft on bankers. So I think the candidate is going to have to be able to navigate those difficult political discussions with Mr Osborne. It'll be an interesting symbol of of the way forward, depending on how he fares in this recruitment. We'll watch that one as well. Finally, on to Credit Suisse. Martin, just a brief look at where we stand on the upcoming strategy review, penciled in for the 21st of October, I think. But we reported a few days ago that one of the things that will be in that strategy review is a big capital raising, kind of estimates around a 5 billion Swiss francs mark. We don't really know how much, but it's a pretty big deal, really. It is, yeah. Tijan Tiam, the recently appointed chief executive of uh, Credit Suisse, has taken a few months to look under the bonnet of the Swiss bank. And according to your great scoop, Patrick, appears to have decided that um, it's a bit short of capital. And particularly, I think, on the leverage ratio. Now, this is the ratio that measures capital against total assets, as opposed to the common equity ratio, where banks are allowed to risk weight their assets and they measure capital against that. This this doesn't allow any kind of risk weighting or adjustment for risk in their balance sheet. This is just total assets and how much capital have they got to cover those total assets. So the Swiss are expected to any day now come out with a requirement for banks to be at 5% on the leverage ratio. So that's they can cover losses up to the, the value of 5% of their total assets with capital from shareholders and other sources. Now, the Swiss bank is some way below that. And just to widen it out, there is a contrast between what we think Tijan Tiam is planning to do at Credit Suisse, raising this capital, and what the two other new chief executives in the sector, Bill Winters at Standard Chartered and John Cryan at Deutsche Bank, are planning to do. And they're trying to get by without having to raise capital. And there's a couple of reasons, I think, for this different strategy. Now, they may end up being forced to because both of those institutions are seen as light on capital. But first of all, Credit Suisse is trading at a premium to its tangible book value. Standard Chartered and Deutsche Bank are both trading at big discounts, which makes capital raisings much more painful. And the second thing is Credit Suisse has got an 
obvious alternative to the more troubled area of investment banking, which is more attractive, where it can deploy capital, invest, build it up, grow it. And that is its private bank and wealth management and, and, and even asset management, where there are some rumours that uh, Tijan Tian would quite like to, at some point, do an acquisition to build up that area where it's a bit under strength. But definitely Asian private banking, wealth management, investment banking, he can see growth there. He can see the potential for that. So that's something to invest in. Standard Chartered, Deutsche Bank, it's not so clear where do they invest. It's more cutbacks. It's more shrinking to get a more stable situation. And I think people are less inclined naturally to invest in a story of cutbacks and shrinkage and just filling a hole. Although I think with Tijan TM's strategy, I think the two points you mentioned, potential growth, potential acquisitions further down the line, and the Swiss regulatory demands are probably the two prime reasons. But a third reason is the restructuring. He wants to have a buffer, I think, or he will want to have a buffer to be able to do some of the restructuring, some of the shifting of the pivot away from some areas of investment yeah, banking. My, my point is that if it was just that, if it was just the kind of negative, we're going to cut costs and we need you, dear shareholders, to provide the capital, then that's the same for Standchart, that's the same for Deutsche Bank. And I don't think investors are that enamoured by banks passing the cap round saying we need more capital just to kind of help us clean up the mistakes of the past without there being a kind of positive growth story to support it. Absolutely. Well, we'll watch that story as it evolves as well, 21st of October in all our diaries. That's it for this week. All that's left is to thank Martin, Caroline and Emma here in the studio and also Renit Ghost from Citigroup down the line. Thank you also for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.